Heavenly Father, as we turn to the Scriptures, the Word of God, we ask for your blessing. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our text this morning uh, consists of two verses, 2 Timothy 3 and verses 16 and 17. And uh, this is one of the most important texts concerning the nature of Scripture in the Bible. Speaking to Timothy about the sacred writings in verse 15 that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, Paul now goes on to say, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, when you hold a Bible in your hands, and I trust you have one in your hands, and you may reach forth for the one in the pew if you don't have it in your hands, what is it that you have? And Paul is giving you here a very succinct answer that what you have is the infallible and inerrant Word of God. Now, Sinclair Ferguson, in his new book called Worthy, which he kindly dedicated to Rosemary and myself, he talks about the philosophy of language. It's in a couple of pages somewhere in that little book that he published. And he talks about the philosophy of language and how it is that some statements are descriptive. The sun is shining. And some statements are performative. They actually do what they say. Uh, I, I stand at the front here four or five times a year and I say, I pronounce you, husband and wife. And those words actually perform the action that my, as a, by the laws of South Carolina and the laws of my denomination, I have that authority to pronounce them husband and wife. Now, there are documents that they have to sign to make it all legal, but those words that I pronounce are performative language. Well, these verses here are performative. They actually do what they say. They are profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in the way of righteousness. Now, I want to walk through this text. Our time is short this morning, and I want us simply to walk through the text because it's a very important text. And first of all, Paul tells us what Scripture does. 
And then secondly, he tells us what Scripture is. He tells us what Scripture does. It is profitable for teaching. That's the first thing, for teaching. It's addressing the mind. That the first thing that the Bible does is not address your affections, make you feel good, or maybe make you feel bad. The first thing is it addresses the mind. It teaches you doctrine. It teaches you truth. What it is you need to believe. What it is that you need to look out for. Doctrine is important. The principle truths of the Bible are important, and you need to know them. If you're going to make any progress as a Christian, you need to know the truth that is contained in the Scripture. You and I are bombarded by error every single day, and you need a discerning mind and a discerning Christian biblical worldview in order to combat all the forces of darkness that are coming our way. It's profitable for teaching, for the mind. Secondly, for a proof. Addressing here the conscience. Every one of us has a, a moral indicator that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't work the way it should. Paul talks about the natural man either accusing or excusing himself. That moral indicator that tells you what is true and what is false, what is good and what is evil. For some of us, when we first read the Bible, it came by way of reproof. It showed us that we were sinners, that we were never as good as we thought we were, that we are the children of Adam, that we sin in word and thought every day, and that no amount of effort on our part can earn our way into the affections of God, and that if we are to be saved, He must do it. He must do all of it. We need to be what C.S. Lewis calls somewhere, um, we need to be undeceived because we deceive ourselves. And reading the Bible will come often by way of reproof in your conscience. And then thirdly, correction. And the Greek word epanorthosis is the word that you would use in secular Greek in the first century for um, putting a broken bone back together again, putting a splint on it, putting some bandages around. We're talking about first century medicine there. To straighten what is crooked, to correct. And then, fourthly, to train in righteousness. To train in righteousness. And the word 
for training in Greek. It's the word paideia, which we, we often translate as a child. So training in righteousness, meaning, meaning growing into spiritual adulthood and maturity so that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what it does. It teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, and it trains in righteousness. Now, the question is, is that the way you're reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible just to get a little verse that will cheer you up for the day? And there's nothing wrong with that in itself. But you need to be more disciplined. When you read the Bible, when you read a passage of Scripture in your devotions, you should ask yourself, first of all, what is this teaching me? Write it down. I'm not a journal sort of person, but lots of you are. And you keep a little journal and you write it down. What, what truth is being taught here? What sin is being shown here as it meddles with your conscience and begins to rebuke you? What part needs to be corrected? A certain lifestyle? certain affections, idols that we have in a cupboard, and sometimes we open them metaphorically and bow down and worship them. How does this passage help me grow as a Christian into maturity and adulthood? Speak to you, young men. 20 years from now, perhaps less. You'll be elders. You'll be on the session with the heavy duty of shepherding this congregation. But you need to grow. You need to grow into adulthood, spiritual maturity and adulthood. Well, then he tells us what Scripture is. Because what it does is governed by what it is. And he says two really important things. First of all, he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's the ESV translation of the Greek word theopneustos. And theopneustos is a Greek word consisting of two words, theo, which is theos, which is God, and pneuma, which is spirit. And spirit, both in Hebrew and in Greek, can sometimes be translated as breath or wind. God, Genesis 1, God spoke, and it came to pass. He spoke, and creation came to pass. Well, here, Scripture is the product of God breathing out. We talk about inspiration, but actually what's being taught here is exhalation, to exhale, not to inhale, but to exhale. 
Scripture is the product of God breathing out. It comes from the very life source of God. Now, there are human elements to Scripture, of course. When you read the Gospel of John, you know it's John. This isn't Matthew. This is not the way Matthew writes. Matthew's writing to Jews, and so he's, he's often, he often gets into Jewish stuff. Mark is in a hurry. Keeps using a little Greek word, kai euthus, and suddenly, and suddenly, and suddenly, he's always running. You can tell an epistle from Paul. And it reads different from John's letters or, or Peter's letters. They just read differently because he has a style. When you read Isaiah in Hebrew, it's very difficult. Very difficult. He moved about in the court of the king, so he used very meticulous language. But Amos, Amos is a farmer, and he talks like a farmer and writes like a farmer. No offense to farmers. My father was a farmer, my grandfather was a farmer, so no offense to farmers. But you can tell that Amos is a country boy. You can tell that from, from just the Hebrew. So there are human elements in Scripture. But all of those human elements are overridden by God. So that the end product, when Moses wrote, or David wrote, or Amos wrote, or Paul wrote, the end product was from God, from the Holy Spirit, breathed out. Now then, he says, all Scripture. Now, there were modernists in the 20th century who didn't like this and that this was too strong a statement about Scripture because there are errors in the Scripture and they, 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 they didn't want to, to be bound by the idea that all of Scripture is, is from God. And, and so they said, all inspired Scripture. Ah, meaning that there are bits of Scripture that are not inspired. But the Greek grammar and syntax will have none of it. Because what Paul is actually saying is that all Scripture, every jot and tittle, that was Jesus' view of the Old Testament, every jot and tittle. And he's using little, little strokes in the Hebrew alphabet, little, little dots and little curves and so on. Even, even down to the jot and tittle, inspired, breathed out by God. Now, follow the logic. If all the Bible and these He's talking about the Old Testament. We'll come to that in a minute as to how we get into the New Testament. But follow the logic of the argument. If all of Scripture, if the entirety of the Old Testament is the product of God breathing out, then it cannot be in error because God cannot be in error. 
It cannot contradict itself because God cannot contradict himself. If you've come up with an interpretation that contradicts the interpretation of another passage in another place in the Old Testament, your interpretation is wrong. You need to go back and do your homework. Scripture comes from God. God, follow the syllogism. Scripture comes from God. God cannot lie. Therefore, Scripture cannot lie. Which is why we believe in the doctrine of the infallibility or the inerrancy of Scripture. And we sometimes use those words as synonyms, although technically infallible means that it doesn't deceive, and inerrant means that it's free from error. That's what we believe in this church. That's what our officers subscribe to in this church. That's what your ministers believe in this church, the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture. Now, this past week was the 30th anniversary of the presidency of Dr. Al Mohler at Southern Seminary, and uh, he's not listening, but we send him his, his congratulations from First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, and he'll be here next summer, God willing. And I was reminded of a debate that took place 25 years ago, in the Southern Baptist Convention, and the editors of the prestigious magazine, The Baptist Faith and Message, wanted to change the basis of final authority. Up until this point, the final authority was Jesus. But he wanted to change, the editor wanted to change the basis of authority. The final basis of authority is Scripture. And a modernist stood up and objected, and he said, I worship Jesus, not the Bible. And Dr. Al Mohler got up to the microphone, and he said, this is precisely the problem, that we're pitting Jesus against the Bible. How do we know anything at all about Jesus? How do we know anything about Him? Because we read it in Scripture. Everything we know about Him is in the Scriptures. You've never seen Him. You've never talked to Him. You weren't there. You don't have a, a little thing in your closet at home that's been passed down through a through hundred generations. Everything that you know about Jesus is in the Bible. So the final authority is Jesus. Now, as I said, technically what Paul is saying, he's saying about the Old Testament. So how do we get to the infallibility of the New Testament? Well, let me walk you quickly. 
Jesus saw his own teaching on the same level as Scripture. I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. He prepared the apostles to speak with divine authority. In the upper room, he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's talking about Scripture. He's talking about the production of the New Testament. The apostles claimed to be inspired in 1 Corinthians 2.13. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And Peter says of Paul's letters, some twist his letters as they do the other Scriptures, the other Scriptures, implying that Paul's letters are also Scriptures. It's an astonishing claim. So what is it that we believe? That all of Scripture, all 66 books, half a million words in Greek and Hebrew, three-quarters of a million words in English, and in the Greek and Hebrew, in the original text, we believe in the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture. And Paul says that the man of God may be complete, equipped. Actually, in the Greek, it's the same word. One is an adjective and one is a participle, but it's the same word. And, and it's, it's like as though Paul is saying, and you will be super equipped for every good work. Oh, my time is gone. Fall in love with this book all over again. Read it. Study it. It can make you into a, a man, a woman of God. It can equip you. Everything that you need for the race that is set before you is here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Bible. Oh, you could have left us wandering about in the dark, but no, you, you wrote it all down so that we might come to an understanding of the gospel, an understanding of ourselves as sinners, an understanding of the way of salvation, an understanding of godliness and the shape of godliness, an understanding of our chief end to glorify You and to enjoy forever. Lord, we, we pray, help us, help us to fall in love with Scripture all over again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.